Hi listeners, I'm your host Rebecca Kelly and welcome back to The Station, a fiction podcast about a girl named Ida Shepard who's trapped on board an abandoned space station called the Delta. Now before we begin, I'd like to say thank you for listening and I have a small favor to ask. If you're enjoying the story, please drop into your podcast player of choice and leave it a five-star rating. This helps me out so much, and I appreciate every single one. Now, back to the story. In this week's episode, you'll get a double bonus. We're going to cover two chapters of the station today. In the first chapter, we'll join Ale in the present time as he waits patiently by the radio, waiting to see if anyone picked up his radio broadcast. He's about to hear a voice that will change his life forever. And in our second chapter, we'll jump back in time nearly two decades to New Shepard, an astronaut on board the Delta after it was abandoned during a deadly world war. New found out shortly after her crew departed that she was pregnant, and she's now come to the end of her pregnancy. Like Ale, she's about to meet the person who will change her life forever. Are you ready? Let's jump right in. Here are chapters 21 and 22 of The Station. Hello, anyone there? Do you copy? Ali spoke into the Ericsson MPX handheld amateur radio. He sat at his desk, twirling the thick cord for the device around his index finger. The radio had seen better days. He had to dig through boxes in the basement just to find it. Ale knew from his research on the Delta that the station had its own ham radio and could pick up the signal as long as they were both on the same frequency. This was, of course, assuming the antenna array on the Delta was still able to receive signals. Just because the transmitter worked didn't mean the receiver was still functioning. And his theory also hinged on the assumption that there was actually someone on board to receive the signal. A pretty big assumption. As he waited, his mind reeled. He played back all the evidence he had come across so far, which pointed to a human occupant driving the Delta through space for the last 19 years. Despite all the evidence, he was still skeptical of the idea that there could be anyone in the station. But he also knew that some of the happenings over the last few days couldn't be explained any other way. He had to disprove this theory in order to clear his conscience, and this was the easiest way to reach the station and send them some parameters for broadcasting directly to the TDRS. Once they, whoever they might be, knew how to reach the TDRS, Ale could talk to them directly on an uninterrupted basis. So far, a total of only four people knew this was even a possibility, and he didn't want to blow the lid off of something crazy if, in fact, there was nothing crazy to blow the lid off of. As his mind wandered through this crazy idea, the radio crackled beside him, causing him to jump and pulling his attention back to the task at hand. It was only a brief crackle before the radio sat silent again. He shook his head in disbelief that he was sitting here at 7.22 p.m., on a Thursday night, waiting to hear from a derelict space station through a piece of equipment that was so old he had to dig it out of a box in the basement. Ale took a sip of water from his mug and pulled up his inbox. No new messages. He rubbed his eyes and forehead. The TDRS had made it to their primary geosynchronous orbits. 
He would have a hell of a next few weeks getting them up and running, and it all started the next morning. The last thing he needed was another long night before the real work began. He had been listening to the static passing in and out of the radio for several hours, and he was quickly tiring of it. Based on Xander's calculations of the station orbit, it had passed over D.C. three times since he started and was about to make another pass over the area. Either nobody was home at the Delta, or they hadn't picked up his signal yet. He wasn't sure how long he needed to wait to find out. The radio static continued for several more minutes, just long enough for Ali to lean back in his chair and begin the initial stages of dozing. Suddenly, there was a break. The static cleared for just a moment, bringing Ali out of his doze before it returned to a regular stream of hissing and popping. He eyed the radio suspiciously, and after a few more seconds, as if it were waking up from a deep sleep, the little radio came to life. The static cleared again and... Hello? said a voice from the other side of the radio. Ale was so surprised by it, he nearly fell out of his desk chair as he straightened up to give the radio his full attention. The voice was clear, surprisingly clear, considering the age of the equipment it was being transmitted over. It was a woman, he was sure of that. A young woman, probably, based on the high pitch of her voice. Um, y- yes, hello, he said, clearing his voice and trying to shake the nerves. This is Alexandros Bacchus. I work at Goddard Space Flight Center near Washington, D.C. Who, who is this? Over. The reply was short and sweet. I am Ida. The contractions were getting closer and closer together. New sat on a chair in the kitchen with the stopwatch in one hand and a small hollow screen sitting on the table in front of her. She was trying to keep track of the time, and it had been three minutes and 43 seconds since the last contraction. Labor began nearly four hours prior, and New was handling it with the stoic composure of a seasoned astronaut handling any new predicament. She had done everything she could to prepare for this day, even preparing herself mentally for the idea that her baby would have health issues because of radiation exposure and limited gravity. One of her priorities during her pregnancy had been to work on reprogramming the station robot so it could handle more tasks. She started by giving him a name that he would recognize and answer to, Nix. When the baby was born, she knew she wouldn't be able to do any spacewalks or stick to her long and strict daily work schedule. So she needed to give him more capabilities to handle the little things, leaving her more time to care for her child. She did this by reworking his code, but also by adding computer power to his systems by pillaging some of the more advanced computers on the station. Nix was now functioning at a sufficient level to do all of the maintenance on the outer hull of the spacecraft. He was a work in progress, but she was happy with the headway she'd made. Another contraction pushed at her insides, and she started her timer. This was getting more painful, and she put her head down on the tabletop, curling over her large belly, breathing deeply to help combat the pain. She had done many ultrasounds on herself over the last nine months, yet she hadn't allowed herself to see the gender of the baby, hoping to keep it a surprise. As the baby grew, 
It continued to amaze her. She had learned through her research how to properly measure certain areas of the baby's little body, bone length, organ size, heart function. All of it was normal. Of course, New had helped aid in the baby's development by taking every precaution. Since the loss of ground communications, she had successfully tripled the size of the garden and was living on a high-fiber vegetarian diet. There were no prenatal vitamins on board, so she concentrated on, on eating foods that were high in things like folic acid and vitamin D. Frankly, she was getting a little tired of eating beans and spinach, but she was willing to do it for her baby. Exercise was still part of her daily routine, and she kept a nutrition journal to detail how many calories she and her baby were getting and what nutrients she needed more of. She spent almost all of her pregnancy in the G, only going into microgravity when absolutely necessary. Nix had been invaluable during the process, like a little gopher going to get her whatever she needed from the other parts of the station. She spent the last hour walking steadily around the module while the intensity of the contractions increased. After about three hours, when the contractions were eight minutes apart, her water broke. She could feel the baby's head resting in her pelvis. Initially, she was worried she would need to do something to augment the gravity in order to get the baby to move down in her body. But as of now, she wasn't really concerned. Nature seemed to be working its magic like it would with any birth on the surface. The pain had been bearable so far, and she couldn't help but wonder if it wasn't the lower gravity that caused her to be more comfortable. She continued to monitor her progress, ticking off the time and measuring each contraction, waiting patiently to finally meet her new companion. The baby, a girl came into the world at 0232 GMT, bright pink and screaming like any healthy newborn. The labor and delivery had been textbook. Before the birth, New worried about things like placenta detachment or a wrapped umbilical cord, but it hadn't been a problem. After the baby made her entrance, New lay on the bed in the medical bay and held the child, crying right along with her. Ida, she said between sobs. That's what I'll call you. Ida let out a long wail as she searched for her mother in the darkness. Not more than a moment passed before New was there to comfort her two-day-old daughter. Taking her baby in her arms, she sat on a thick cotton blanket next to the little homemade bassinet and fed her hungry daughter. Almost immediately after Ida was born, New worked on getting her baby on a regular schedule. She strung up blankets covering the walls of the sleeping compartment that would be Ida's room to make sure that no light entered while Ida was supposed to be sleeping. Routine and structure were so important to survival on the Delta, and New wanted to firmly establish this importance in her daughter's mind. And the name, Ida. New figured... Why not name her after a Greek letter, like her very own nickname? In physics, Ida represented a particle called a meson, made of quirks and antiquirks, and known to work through both strong and weak interactions. She liked the idea of her daughter being associated with strange quirks, and being weak yet strong at the same time. New had been given a gift, a reprieve from the loneliness and she cherished every second of her time on board the Delta with her daughter. 
because she knew better than anyone how quickly that time could end. Thanks for listening, sci-fi fans. In the next episode, we'll learn more about Ida's early life with her mother on board the Delta. You don't want to miss it. See you then. Bye.